five of our fireside chats. Kind of hard to believe, but it, we are in week five. Um, we are here, of course, with Tim Cross, who is our senior vice president, and we have a lot to talk about today. And uh, we even anticipate having a special guest with us today, and he'll be uh, addressing you in just a few minutes. But first, please remember to mute, keep your, um, your audio muted so everyone can hear the conversation. If you have a question, please um, put it in the chat uh, function on your Zoom call, or you can send it to me privately. So you can put it out there publicly or send it to me privately. We'll try to get to as many as we possibly can. And do remember that a recording will be made of today's fireside chat and posted to the UTIA coronavirus website. So without further ado, let's jump right in. So Tim, uh, there's actually been some positive news with regard to the number of cases of coronavirus in Tennessee. Tell us what it is you're hearing. Well, thanks, Lisa, and good morning uh, to everyone. Thanks for joining us again, and uh, really pleased to have this group with us, uh, continuing to do uh, the good work that you've been doing. Um, thanks for taking time out of your morning uh, to catch up a little bit today. Uh, as Lisa mentioned, we have seen some positive indicators recently, uh, particularly in Tennessee, but I think uh, if you've been watching the news, other states as well. Uh, and, and probably one of the leading positive indicators is, uh, as we had hoped might happen, the number of new cases has really tended to level off this week, uh, averaging somewhere around uh, 180 to 200 new cases every day. And while certainly we don't want to see any new cases, uh, at least it's no longer accelerating at an increasing rate. And so that has been uh, some, some good news, uh, some, something to look at with some optimism. Uh, and we also saw actually yesterday for the first time, the total number of active cases starting to decrease. And let's hope that was not just a one day occurrence, but basically what that reflects is if you take the total number of cases uh, that have been diagnosed as positive and then subtract the number that have recovered, uh, you get the number of active cases that remain. And obviously we wanna see the number of active, active cases uh, decline over time. And, and that is what we observed yesterday. So a couple of uh, positive indicators today, uh, yesterday and, and throughout the past week. And that gives us uh, at least a little something uh, to look at as, as good news. Uh, I think overall, it, it's pretty apparent the curve at this point is starting to flatten. And that's what, what we've been really focused on is doing our part to flatten the curve uh, along with uh, the rest of the state and the rest of the, the country for that matter. Uh, so you're, you're probably starting to hear some discussion uh, from, from the president uh, of the US, uh, Donald Trump on down, uh, Governor Lee uh, here in Knoxville, uh, Mayor Jacobs, uh, a lot of, of uh, discussion now starting to turn attention to, okay, if things are improving and if we are headed in the right direction, uh, how and when do we go about, uh, you know, re-entering re or re-engaging uh, with our workers? How do we start to re-enter society, if you will? So uh, we're seeing a lot of discussion about that. So obviously these are very positive trends, but I think you would agree the crisis isn't over. So give us your thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, I, I always like to try to start on a positive note and, and you know, what we just shared, I think is positive, but the, the truth is the virus is still out there and experts agree it's a highly contagious virus. 
So while we've made good progress, it's not uh, as though we can say the coast is clear, uh, everybody back uh, in, in more normal uh, work arrangements. Uh, what we really need to do is continue on at this point with what we have been doing. But clearly, uh, we, we need to begin to, to give some thought over time to what we do uh, when restrictions are, are uh, uh, either uh, removed or, or decreased in the future. Uh, and I think uh, what we'll probably see uh, across our businesses, across higher education, uh, across much of society, is that it, we're not going to experience something like flipping a light switch where we go from, from uh, what, the way we are now to something close to what we used to do uh, in terms of operations. But we'll likely see things change in phases uh, with a gradual uh, return or re-entry uh, to our workplaces, to our offices, laboratories, classrooms, et cetera. So along those lines, when do you think we might fully return to our workplaces or at least in some, some fashion or other? Yeah, that, that's the uh, $2 trillion question, right? Or, or maybe <laughs> or $6 trillion question. When, when will things be uh, back to normal, if you will. And, and as we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, we may never get exactly back to the way things were. We, we've changed. We've uh, learned things. We've uh, adapted. And a lot of those things may continue. However, we, we do need to think about, okay, when, when will we be uh, starting to re-enter our workplace? Uh, when will we be free to, to meet with students in the classroom? When will be, uh, when will be uh, doing more of our sort of typical or traditional laboratory work and so forth. I don't have a great crystal ball on that, but I do know we'll coordinate at the federal, state, and county levels uh, as we uh, develop plans uh, related to re-entry. And certainly one of the, the key uh, indicators and, and key groups we'll work with is the University of Tennessee system. And I'm really uh, excited to be able to say that uh, we've got joining us today uh, newly appointed President Randy Boyd, and I'm going to call on him and ask him to share his thoughts about not only re-entry uh, to our workplaces, but also any other thoughts he has about the university's response to coronavirus. And I want to also say this is really the first opportunity we've had as, a, as an institute to congratulate Randy and, and welcome him as now the, the president of the UT system with the interim title removed. So, President Boyd, thanks for joining us today. And if you would uh, share some remarks with this group about uh, re-entry and, and about the university's response to coronavirus. Well, well thank you, Tim. Thanks for joining me and uh, or letting me join you. And thank you, Lisa, for inviting me. And also, thank you for taking me off the uh, mute. I tried to keep unmuting myself, and I realized you had total control. So <laughs> thank you for allowing me to speak. But uh, it's great to be with everybody and, and see so many uh, familiar faces on the screen. I can't wait to get to see everybody again in person. I just want to start by saying thank you to everybody that I see on the screen, everybody at the Institute, all of our faculty all across uh, the state. The thing that has been the most inspiring to me is how everybody's uh, stood up and raised to the, uh, rose to the challenge and have been making sure that our students are being able to take their classes uh, and complete their courses and graduate on time. It's been uh, amazing to see uh, the effort that everybody's put forward. I, I expected a lot of challenges and a lot of uh, pushback and people saying, well, no, we can't do this, we can't do that, but we haven't heard it at all. Everybody has found a way. It's been difficult a lot of times, and I just want to say thank you to everybody that's worked so hard to help us continue our mission. Um, it's been one of the more inspiring uh, things that I've had to witness in my entire life. 
Secondly, I just want to say that, yeah, this is challenging, but one thing that we know for sure, we will survive, we will come out of this. We got to make sure that we keep our students and our faculty and our staff healthy uh, and safe. But when we come out of this, I truly believe we're going to be better and stronger than we ever were before. We're learning a lot of new things. There's all, every day I talk to somebody that's doing something in a different way than they've done it before that they actually think will make it more efficient. You know, I wish that I could talk the state into uh, allowing us to do Zoom meetings for state building commission meetings. I drive three hours to go and do a five minute meeting. Uh, and uh, we could do that in Zoom and save so much time and energy. There's so many examples like that, that I think that we'll, be, we'll discover that we can do things a lot more efficiently than we ever have done before. So I think in a lot of ways, we'll come out of this better than we have before. With regards to the, the crystal ball, uh, Tim asked that question. Um, so we don't have a crystal ball, but I do want to make a, maybe follow up on one comment that uh, Tim made about things getting better. Uh, it's something that we've all tracking. I'm not an epidemiologist, even though I'm like everybody else and now pretend to be one. Uh, but the, uh, the, the one stat that I've been following very closely is the active cases. And the thing that's been really encouraging over the last 10 days, the active cases in the state of Tennessee have been flat, around 3,700, mid 3,750. And yesterday we had the biggest decline, one day decline in active cases. We had a 400 uh, person decline in active cases. The active cases in the state of Tennessee is now down to 3,300. In Knox County, it's about 32 um, as of yesterday. It got down to 32, I mean 28 a couple of days ago. So the positive, uh, news is that the active cases has been flat to declining. We would we'll just follow it day to day and see how that continues on. We're not going to uh, rely on myself or anybody within the system really to determine uh, the future of the, uh, of the, the virus and the epidemic. We're going to be following CDC guidelines. And so whatever the CDC and our, 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 our county and state leadership tells us to do, we're going to be following that. So we don't have to interpret for ourselves, but all we can say is the trend is good. What we are doing is preparing for the best and the worst. Uh, we already know what we're going to do for this summer. We're going to be continuing to teach remotely during the summer. Uh, we're going to continue um, uh, to uh, protect or, or uh, practice social distancing and, and all the best practices that we, we've already come to, come to do. But we are preparing for the fall. Uh, we are looking at uh, the financial impacts if uh, we don't have classes in the fall if we don't have sports in the fall. Uh, and that's going to be pretty dramatic. Uh, but we need to know what that looks like in case that happens. Uh, and so we've got a team of uh, chief business officers and, and our chief financial officer looking at that scenario. But I'm an optimist, and I don't expect that to be the case. And what I'm hopeful for is we are bringing students back, faculty back, and we're having athletics back this fall. So we also, just yesterday, uh, put together a system-wide task force the one UT Leadership Council and ourselves pointed a, a task force to look at what we're going to do in reentry in the fall and what things will be different. There'll be a range of things. Our environment will be different. We're going to look at uh, new sanitation systems, maybe uh, spacing in classrooms, maybe we limit the size of classrooms. There's a whole range of things that we need to consider. I was reading a report this morning about uh, maintaining humidity between 40 and 60 percent helps reduce the virus. So there's a range of things that we're gonna rely on experts to tell us to do. And we're gonna incorporate all of those in our, in our re-entry plan. So simultaneously, we're planning on a re-entry plan this fall, and at the same time, preparing for what, what it looks like if we don't. On that worst case scenario, the one thing I'll, I'll conclude with this, at least 
for now and say that the good news is in the state of Tennessee and with the University of Tennessee, our financial situation was strong going into this. At the, at when the, the, the virus hit and we had our lockdown, the state of Tennessee had a $500 million surplus in the current year. Bill Fox's forecast here at the University of Tennessee for the fourth quarter was a loss of $300 million uh, because of the shutdown. What that means is, in spite of this cliff that we've gone off on economically, we're going to still finish the year with maybe a $200 million surplus. That's not true for most states. We have put ourselves in a really strong position. We're still going to be doing a lot of belt tightening and, uh, and watching every, every penny. But the good news is we, the state started off in a strong position. At the University of Tennessee, we have uh, very significant reserves. We can withstand this. So it's not, we're going to be very conservative in everything we do. But the good news is uh, I think we're in a good position both at, at the state level and at the uh, university level to withstand the storm. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, thank you, Randy. And if you can stay with us, there may be some questions that uh, that uh, might be good for you to address or, uh, or that I need help with. So uh, really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today and, and share a few remarks. So we've got a good group online here, obviously. Thank, thanks so much, Randy. One of the things that our executive team and our uh, coronavirus task force have been working really diligently on is a set of guidelines for us to follow throughout this pandemic. And um, so Tim, you may want to address some of the changes that have just recently been made to those guidelines. Yeah, good. And then uh, encourage any questions anyone has. So Absolutely. you've seen uh, already that UT Knoxville uh, has, uh, has as, as Randy just mentioned, has decided that summer school will be online and that uh, there won't be any public meetings, events, or activities on campus uh, through July 31st. Uh, we had been uh, really holding off to see how this progressed uh, with regard to how that might impact our off-site, off-campus facilities uh, across the state, and it, it really appears obvious at this point that we also need to take that posture and, and continue uh, uh, our restrictions on face-to-face -face meetings at this point through uh, July 31st uh, of 2020. Uh, it's really hard to, to know exactly what status we'll be in uh, in June and July, but at this point, it seems very, very unlikely that we'll be in a position to be able to do face-to-face -face, uh, large group or large public events and activities. Uh, and so we have extended the restrictions on public meetings, events, and activities uh, through July 31. Uh, at this point. We'll reevaluate that and see if, if there's new information as conditions change. There's certainly nothing that says we can't revisit that, but at this point, it seems like the prudent thing to do. And in concert with that, we uh, have also decided to maintain the restrictions on travel, uh, out-of-state travel and international travel as well, uh, through July 31st at this point. Uh, again, if, if it's not uh, really in our opinion, going to be safe to have face-to-face -face meetings uh, within the state. I, I doubt it's going to be safe for us to be attending face-to-face -face meetings out of state either. So we're going to keep those two restrictions in place and, and uh, coordinated uh, with, with one another, if you will, uh, through July 31st. And, and likewise with travel, if things change, if we uh, see a, a drastic improvement, uh, we can always revisit that uh, restriction as well. So those are the main major changes that we've announced. I know everybody is thinking about how to plan their summer, how to, how to deal with uh, major events and activities. 
I know this is going to be a real disappointment to a lot of folks uh, uh, because it certainly has an impact on things like our, our livestock shows and events, our, our summer camping programs and so forth. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, we have to keep in mind our four priorities, number one of which was protecting health and safety of our uh, employees uh, and of our stakeholders. And while there will be some that are upset about this, I also believe there will be many that say, well, we're glad to hear it because we really weren't very comfortable in, in you know, attending these kinds of events face to face at this point anyway. So uh, we will uh, again revisit that as, as uh, information becomes available and as conditions change, but for planning purposes, we feel like that's the prudent thing to do. So let me pause right there, Lisa, and see if we have any uh, questions then to uh, address this morning. Well, apparently both of you did such a fabulous job. We've had no questions. <laughs> so actually, I'm seeing several that have come straight to me. So okay, well, there's I'll ask a question and Randy can answer. That's even better. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Let's see. Uh, so one question is: Does will employees still be working remotely through July 31st? And that that is a great question. Uh, President Boyd, you want to take a first stab at that? Well, I think it's going to depend on what the state guidelines are, but I think there's going to be a, a, a suggestion by the governor for some re-entry and by our county mayors for re-entry and uh, starting back up of certain levels of, of work around the 1st of May. We're still waiting for that guideline, but we'll probably follow that guidance. I know at the, the system level, we've been discussing uh, having some limited uh, set of, of, of our associates coming back uh, around the 1st of May. Now, uh, we want to do things, uh, we're, and we're discussing what that might look like. For example, we may stagger uh, days where uh, like uh, people will come in every other day so that we can limit the number of people that are in. We'll still continue to have Zoom meetings rather than going to a conference room, uh, but we're beginning to look at what a gradual re-entry would look like. Uh, but that's still to be determined, but we, we're developing plans around what, what will look like when we do start coming back. But whatever we do, it'll be very gradual and uh, safety and health will be first and foremost. Only thing I'd add to that is that, uh, you know, we, I suspect there will be some who say, gosh, I'm, I'm able to fully carry out my duties from home and working remotely. Is it possible for me to continue uh, working remotely? So we'll, we'll try to be flexible and really uh, tailor uh, our phased in approach to uh, make it beneficial not only to our organization, but also to, to our employees, because uh, there may be some that, that prefer to work at home, and there may be some who say, please let me come back uh, tomorrow. So uh, we'll, we'll do what we can to uh, make this safe, but also to make it flexible. I want to make a, a comment, and I haven't actually had this conversation with Tim yet, so Lisa, he, he can't mute me on his own, can he? <laughs> Yeah, okay. So here, I want to share a philosophy that I have. I actually encourage uh, working from home and remote working where you can. You know, as a commissioner of ECD, we created a, what they called AWS, where our employees could work from home a certain number of days. We had one team that did uh, research. There's 10 of them, and they only came into the office one day a week. They came in at the same day, and they scheduled all their meetings there or then. And for them, you know, especially in Nashville, driving an hour through traffic, paying expensive parking, and then driving an hour back at the end of the day just to sit on their laptop and do research didn't, didn't make a lot of sense. So where it makes sense, where it makes sense for supervisors, I would like to encourage uh, that type of uh, uh, working if it works for the, for the employee. And we're just now moving the UT 
system employees to the, what we're now calling the UT Tower, which used to be formerly known as the TVA Tower. And I know when we were asking some of our employees about the, their interest in working from home, most of them weren't very interested. But over the last three or four weeks, I've gotten all kinds of positive uh, responses back from our, our colleagues saying, you know, this isn't actually bad. In fact, I'm getting a lot of work done uh, from, from home. And so I'm hopeful this may change uh, some people's attitudes about it. But I just want to state that from my, my point of view, I think it's a good thing. And I'd like to encourage it where it makes sense for our employees. Someone did ask that um, some of the travel restrictions, and I, I believe it was travel and uh, perhaps working from home, how that might uh, look in the county offices where they do have to answer to county government as well. Yeah, that's, that's gonna be one of our challenges. And that's why I mentioned, well, we've got to coordinate with federal, state and county uh, guidance on this, as well as be you know, in, in sync with the uh, UT system. We're going to have to be flexible. Uh, we got 95 different county mayors who may, you know, uh, approach this 95 different ways. So we're, we'll certainly be uh, uh, cognizant of the fact that conditions in, in each county may be a little bit different. And we'll try to, you know, be, again, as flexible as possible to enable us to remain good partners with uh, county government and serve in our local communities in concert with them while also, um, you know, adopting hopefully some baseline practices and procedures that the university uh, establishes. So great question. And, and actually, I've already seen at least one county announce that they are returning to work May 1st. And, you know, I know we're thinking, all right, well, what does that look like uh, for our county and uh, our university employees in that county? So we'll, uh, we'll keep an eye towards the fact that things could differ from one location to another. And, and I mentioned county offices, but that also goes for our research and education centers as well, because they're obviously each located in a different county too. Um, someone's also asked about travel plans. Um, can they be made on August 1st? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we, we've said the restrictions are through July 31st. So I suppose uh, if you want to be really bold and optimistic and say, I'm leaving on the 1st, that, that's a possibility at this point. The one, one additional bit of guidance we added to the guidelines was that, you know, if you want to, if you feel like you really do need to begin to plan in that direction, that's fine. But we would suggest not booking airline tickets uh, any more than four weeks ahead of that. So in other words, you know, if, if, uh, if at all possible, if it's something that has to happen early August, then wait until early July to book uh, those tickets so that we're not in a position of having to uh, cancel and, and potentially incur added costs for, for changing tickets if conditions aren't such that, that travel's possible uh, in, on August 1st. But at this point, just for planning purposes, we were very hopeful that, that August uh, and beyond will be uh, relaxed uh, in terms of travel restrictions. I hope that, that provides enough guidance there. Um, so someone has asked, uh, what about employees with children um, home from school and now home from camps for the summer? What are the expectations uh, for these employees who not expected this? And, so I think there, there's a good example of, of a group of folks who may say, gosh, you know, working remotely is, is a better way for me to go, uh, at least in, in the short run. And right in line then with, with President Boyd's comments and remarks about uh, effectiveness and, and uh, uh, 
productivity from, from working remotely. So I think that's a conversation uh, with our individual supervisors and, and if uh, others need to get involved, our human resources folks, to figure out how to address those things, that's what we want to do. We, we want to continue to support our employees. Uh, we recognize that, that circumstances uh, for each individual to some extent are a little bit different. Uh, it's hard to, to just simply say, well, everybody stay home forever. Uh, because a lot of our jobs uh, require uh, in-person presence, but I also think there's a lot of our jobs who, who, uh, uh, that can be done remotely. So uh, I think we can, again, approach that on a, a bit of a case-by-case -case basis, and those that have uh, challenges certainly uh, have a conversation with your direct supervisor, and, and if that doesn't uh, seem to address the issue, then contact our human resources offices. I just want to add that, uh, it, it, as Tim said, this is a decision that the supervisors need to make from, from our level of the system and encouraging chancellors and, and other direct reports. We just encourage everybody to be compassionate and be flexible. Everybody's situation is different. We want to make sure that we're supporting everybody in their, both in their home life and their, and their, what they need to do for UT. So here's a question that perhaps both of you can address, and that is any idea of how all of this affects the international graduate students who have been accepted for the fall. How do we handle those? I'll start and then again, President Boyd may want to chime in. We, we actually talked about this yesterday at the UT Knoxville cabinet meeting. Real challenge right now for our international graduate students because typically uh, in the spring, they obtain their visas to travel as a student to the United States to start classes in the fall. Well, unfortunately, right now, most, if not all, of our U.S. embassies are closed, which means those students cannot go get a visa, and without a visa, they, they will be unable to enter the country. So in terms of physically uh, being present on campus, I think it's going to be a real challenge for our international students, and that then raises the question, well, can we do some things to uh, serve their needs through distance-based delivery? Again, maybe, maybe using the approaches that we've been using right now uh, and extending that in particular to our uh, incoming international students. So uh, every, again, every situation for those students is a little bit different as well. But for those who, who lack a visa, uh, it's going to be a real challenge, I think, between now and, and the fall semester. Randy, anything further that you've heard on that? Uh, no, I don't think there's much other to add other than that it's going to be a real challenge and we're going to have to be very innovative and in trying to find ways to help support them. So Randy, here's one for you. Um, does this mean that these classes that were traditionally in person that are now being transitioned to Zoom may be made available to distance education students, say an extension agent who might be pursuing a master's degree? Well, I don't know that it necessarily dictates that, but it's something that I'd like to encourage. I think we're learning that there's a lot of programming, a lot of programs and classes that we could, uh, that we didn't feel that we could offer uh, distance learning in the past, and now we found that we actually can. So I think, I don't think, I know, it's been a, a strategy of ours across the system to, to create more distance learning uh, opportunities, online opportunities, and we had a plan over the next five years to, to make it much more robust. Uh, and I think this crisis has actually expedited that by, by years. And so um, I think, uh, yes, it, it, will, it will result in more opportunities for more people to take more, more, more programs. 
So Tim, someone's asking, is this the official announcement that there will be no 4-H camps this year? Well, I, I think uh, Dr. Burns and the Extension Leadership Team really uh, still need to dive down into details on that. Uh, you know, we've said we really don't want to do face-to-face -face, uh, public events and activities when, when a lot of the modeling still suggests we haven't reached the peak in terms of numbers uh, of active cases in Tennessee. Time will tell whether that's true or not, but uh, Dr. Burns and the leadership team will be uh, really uh, working on finalizing that decision, I think, in the coming days. Uh, Dr. Burns or Dr. Loveday, if either of you are on and want to comment on that, welcome, welcome you to do that. Uh, let me just pause and see. And maybe uh, Mike Stanley can tell if either of them are on. My, my listing is not complete here. Um, uh, I, we'll have to look at this. You know, we've got a lot of programs coming this summer. For our big one is camp and the outside users there. So uh, big decisions made real quick. Good, thanks Dwight, appreciate you uh, joining us. So, I'm sorry. I would hold tight on, uh, you know, finalization of any plans with regard to 4-H uh, events at this point, but um, we just reached the decision yesterday that we really feel like face-to-face uh, -face public events through July 31 uh, need to be postponed or, or reframed into uh, alternative formats online delivery. So someone also extended this question to ask about um, extensions involvement in county, say in a county fair, which really um, start to take place in earnest in the summer. But I'm, I'm guessing that a lot of those fairs, there's a question mark whether or not they will even be hold, held this year. Yeah, I, I think uh, it's really pretty early to know for sure what, what we could or should do uh, with those kinds of events. And I think we'll have to uh, develop more guidance about our participation in, in public events, you know, developed by others or, or sponsored by others uh, as, as time plays out here. It's uh, probably too soon. Just like uh, SEC football and, and athletic events, uh, boy, we, we really don't know today uh, what the future holds, but we're, we're hopeful and optimistic that, uh, that things like uh, county fairs will, will be able to be conducted we'll be able to have uh, large public events uh, again by this fall, but uh, too soon to tell. So we have a faculty member asking if um, both of you could address the hiring pause and does this apply to 100% grant funded positions where our funders are expecting us to actually hire these positions? Randy, you want to start out on that? You, you talked a little bit about the state budget. Yeah, so I think uh, we're going to be uh, very conservative uh, where, where we can. There, there may be some exceptions. I know, like, for example, uh, UT Knoxville had a search on for a new vice chancellor of research um, for the last six months, and they, they were at the final stages. So uh, I think they're moving forward with that, that position. And there'll be other examples like that where we're, some things are in process with particular grant funding. I would say there's a probability that if the, the grant funder is expecting us to make a hire, we will. Uh, but we're trying to, in every place that we can, to be conservative until we get a bit, a bit clearer picture of what the, the budget's going to look like. The legislature is planning on coming back in June uh, to uh, confirm 
uh, what they're going to do with the budget. Uh, some good news in case you don't know, but when they left uh, back in March, they did approve a budget that unfortunately didn't approve some of the new things that we were looking forward to, like additional funding for extension, which was heartbreaking, frankly, when that happened. But after I picked myself up off the floor, being very de demoralized, the fact that we get some of the new things we're asking for, at the same time, I realized that they gave us money for performance funding, which meant that we were still getting an increase for the UT system, which I, in, in considering all the things that are happening, getting an increase in these times is, was a good thing. Now we'll have to see in June when they come back, if we'll continue to get that increase. But for right now, um, generally we're in good shape, but I think uh, we need to wait until they come back in June and confirm what their, what our budget's gonna be before we get too, uh, uh, too loose with uh, hiring again. We can make some exceptions where we need to. Yeah, yeah so I'd, I'd endorse every bit of that and say, you know, we, we have not announced a freeze. It, it's really uh, a slowdown and a pause is the way we've been approaching it. And, and as Randy said, if there's really critical hires, that without the hires, that will prevent uh, us from, uh, you know, doing some of the things that we really need to do, then, then we can consider those. Those that are underway and, and, you know, close to final stages, we are finalizing. Uh, we don't want to uh, back up uh, in terms of progress on some, but those that have not been announced or those that have only been recently announced, there, there are ways from being filled anyway, but uh, we may, uh, you know, take things a little bit slower, a little bit more cautiously, and then see what, uh, what June uh, holds in terms of the state budget. So that's, that's really our approach. And again, it comes down to a, a position by position discussion. The deans and I have talked uh, and we'll uh, try to look at each one and, and really assess, does filling this position today, uh, is it so important that if we don't fill it, uh, that, that the Institute will be negatively impacted? That, that's sort of the lens we want to use uh, for the next several weeks. So uh, hopefully that provides enough guidance there to enable us to, to continue to do uh, critical hires and yet also enables us to conserve resources should we find ourselves uh, in, a, in a less desirable uh, budget outcome. Lisa, I'll make up a new term. Uh, so it's not a hiring pause, it's not a hiring freeze, but it's a hiring chill. So a chill for now. Got it. Um, someone's asked, what impact will this have on the overall compensation HR effort at the system level regarding funding and position alignment? So the so compensation will be determined in large part by what the state does. Uh, originally, the budget proposed a two and a half percent increase in the salary pool. That, as as you know, a two and a half percent increase in the pool doesn't mean two and a half percent per person. It, the, each each person has a pool of money will get an additional two and a half percent. Unfortunately, when the the crisis hit, they cut that from two and a half percent to one and a half percent. As it stands today, uh, we are. Uh, have been, the plan is by the state legislature to give us one and a half percent. When they come back in June, it's, it's undetermined. And a lot depends on what happens with the economy between it, during the month of May. If the, the economy starts ramping back up in May, we see a gradual uh, re-entry uh, and things begin to look better. They may be able to keep that. If it continues to, to dive, then probably not. But my, your guess is as good as mine as what's going to happen in the month of May in the economy. I'm hopeful, but it's hard to say, but as it stands today, the legislature has awarded us a one and a half percent increase in the salary pool. 
And I think this person was also asking about the HR uh, compensation project, I believe. Yeah. Is that on hold? Oh, uh, I, Doug Bonner's with us. Doug, you want to talk to the, the, I know you provided me a brief update the other day. You want to share briefly with the group? And Mike Stanley, you might have to unmute Doug Bonner too. See if I can. There we go. Got it. So, um, yeah, I, what I would share is that work continues. Uh, the project team is continuing to work through the role allocations and get us well prepared to move forward when the time is right. The question that we have right now is when we want to move forward with the management reviews, which is the next primary or the next major step in that entire process. And then from there, we'll move forward with the, the implementation. So I suspect the timeline will be delayed as a result of the situation that we're all dealing with right now, but that work will continue and the plan is to continue with the implementation. Good, thanks, Doug. Sure thing. Well, we have no more questions, uh, but we do have a shout out. I wanna make sure Randy saw, and that was um, someone very much appreciates you wearing the UTIA shirt today. Well, I'm sorry I'm not getting to wear it, making uh, extension visits. You know, I've made, I think, 77 visits now. I have another 18 to go, and I thought I would actually have accomplished my goal by now. This is usually the shirt that I wear on those. So I'm wearing it in honor of uh, my, my extension visits. I, I do also have a 4-H um, uh, Aloha shirt in honor of uh, Justin Crow, which I unfortunately am uh, not wearing today. But maybe the next time I, I get to join you, I'll be wearing the Aloha shirt. Great. Well, we love it. So... <laughs> Thanks so much. Well, Tim, uh, do you have some um, final remarks you'd like to make? Yeah, just a few to wrap up and I'll, I'll uh, invite Randy to, to really uh, finalize our, our chat this morning. Uh, let me first of all say thanks to those of you that have been submitting some of your success stories, the new innovative creative things that you've been doing uh, as a, uh, in response to the coronavirus. Uh, we're, we're working on uh, uh, getting some of those stories out You'll be seeing some of those in the next uh, several days, so keep them coming. Those of you that uh, have got some good things going on, share them with us so that we're aware and so that we can brag about the good work that you're doing. Uh, second thing uh, I just noticed this morning, our uh, task force and web committee has refreshed our UTI coronavirus website. It's got great material on it. It's got the links to the UT Knoxville coronavirus website. It's got resources from uh, national and state uh, data sources about coronavirus. If you haven't looked at it lately, go, go check it out. Uh, and thanks to uh, our task force and our web team for, uh, for getting that uh, really refreshed and, and reorganized. It looks great. Uh, and I think it provides very helpful information, which is probably most important. Uh, I guess third point that that occurs to me, uh, you know, we've talked about things looking better. We've talked about reentry, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Uh, let's stay uh, where we're at in terms of our, our workplace, uh, continue to work remotely, continue to stay in touch with your supervisors. Uh, let us know uh, if you have needs, uh, but uh, let's keep on what we've been doing. Uh, keep following CDC guidelines. Uh, we're, we're making great progress, but we don't want to uh, abandon those uh, great strides too prematurely and then wind up regretting it. So 
keep on uh, keeping on and, and uh, stay safe. Uh, we have been, I think, very effective. Again, at this point, we've still only had one positive among uh, our 2,000 plus uh, employees. So incredible uh, positive result, in my opinion. It's, it's thanks uh, to the efforts that you've been making uh, to, to stay uh, safe and healthy and yet still uh, continue to, to carry out your responsibilities. Uh, and I would also say, obviously, we appreciate uh, what you're doing. We know that it's hard, those of you with children at home, uh, it, it's not easy trying to work and take care of a family, provide education, uh, a lot of good work still going on. And, and uh, in spite of those challenges, I've seen evidence of that. So uh, thanks for, for all you're doing. And with that, I'm going to say I hope each of you have a great rest of the day and an excellent weekend. And I'll turn it over to Randy for any final concluding remarks. Again, Tim and Lisa, thanks for having me today. And I want to finish the way I started and just to say thank you all for all the tremendous effort you're making to keep our students uh, on course and also to uh, keep yourself and them uh, safe and healthy. I'm regularly reminded during this crisis of the greatest generation of Americans, at least what a lot of authors talk about, those of the 1940s. And they faced a pretty big crisis as well in World War II. And I don't think the I think they're known for the, as being the, the greatest generation, uh, not uh, in spite of World War II, but because of it, how they rose up to this challenge and uh, came together, defeated uh, uh, the Axis powers and, and restored our country to, to, to greatness. And I think with this crisis, uh, the good news is people aren't dropping bombs on us. Our houses aren't being turned to rubble. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a uh, terrible uh, challenge that we're facing, but in, in comparison, I think um, uh, we're actually maybe in some ways a little, little better off. But um, as I think about this being uh, our greatest decade in the history of the University of Tennessee, I think this won't uh, defeat us, but it'll actually define us. The, how we rise up and how we take on this challenge and how we defeat it, I think will be one of our greatest moments as well. So I just want to conclude by saying thank you all again for everything you're doing. Uh, I, thanks for all the hard work and continue to stay safe. Thanks, Tim. Great. Take care, everyone. Thank you.